Hi, I'm Marty. I'm Dave. I'm John. I'm Aaron. And this is Door 14 Hockey. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Door 14 Hockey Podcast. I'm your host Marty, alongside John. Hey, hey, I'm back. You've made your triumphant return. Hello, how are you doing? I, I have. I'm back. Um, I'm feeling myself again. I am not having to do daddy daycare or daddy nightcare as it was the last time. Um, so yeah, I'm back. But uh, clearly, as everyone can see, Dave is not here. Yeah. Uh, neither is Aaron. So no. clearly, I, I was aware that I was feuding with Dave, but I was not aware that there was an issue with Aaron. So. <sighs> It's clearly I did something at the Challenge Cup final that uh, he didn't really uh, approve of. Did, did the feud restart after the Challenge Cup final? Is that why the other two have disappeared off for tonight's recording? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't remember throwing up in his car, but I might have. <laughs> yeah, um, we, we obviously put the feud thing to bed because obviously you, you and Dave were seen together at the Challenge Cup final like in person hey, look, you can, together. You can be seen together. You can be seen together and still not be agreeing and feuding. <laughs> Let, let's, let's be clear about that. Just because he stayed in my house doesn't mean I like the guy. <laughs> oh, that, if I took it out of context, that would sound quite bad, actually. If we, yeah, just that's going to be my new ringtone. Yeah, just clip it there. Um, John, it has been a while, um, but uh, it's good to see you back on the podcast. As I say, there is only me and you tonight, um, but we do have a lot to kind of catch up on in terms of uh, we. Well, let's let's we, we will get to the challenge cup. I'm not I'm not saying I'm a glory hunter, but uh, look, I'm I'm here for one reason and one reason alone, and that's to talk about the challenge cup. We will get there in period one, um, but. Uh, I suppose we should explain we're a week behind our recording. We're normally uh, we're, we're we're now officially a week behind on our recording schedule. Uh, we pushed it back to this week because last week we were slightly fragile. The next day, um, I know some people were slightly worse than others. Um, to be fair, I I wasn't just as fragile because I'll be honest. The last pint that one of Dave's um, work colleagues got us. I got about two sips into that and I very quietly walked away to the bar and left it there. Um, so I, I was not for finishing that. Being, uh, okay, 36 is not middle-aged, or at least I hope it's not middle-aged, uh, but being that uh, sort of 36-year-old dad, life's tiring. Um, <laughs> five pints is enough, let's be let's be totally honest. Playoffs has me worried. Yeah. yeah, yeah I already have yep. the fear. I'm the same, uh, exactly the same. That's, it was the same with me that night. Uh, if I ever kind of wanted to feel like I was getting old, it was definitely that night whenever the drink was slowing and I did the same, exactly the same as you where I kind of subtly just like set it down on the on the, on the table behind us. Um, yep. And and I just thought to myself, oh, playoffs, oh man, I'm just, I'm scared. But see for, see the, the, the best thing that could happen at playoffs. Can we find a bar that has Guinness Zero? could do or just a nice coffee shop instead <laughs> i like your thinking you know. i like your thinking um but as it has been um over three weeks since our last recording um there has been some changes in the well when we say some changes in the league it, it maybe not too many changes in the actual shape of where teams are sitting in the league but certainly um we are now in about with four five weeks maybe nope four weeks maybe left now to go four weeks. four weeks left to go in the season um we have four weekends left and we have some major games coming up and we have a really tight run uh, at the moment at the top of the table in terms of our stand in terms of the standings so don if it's okay we'll get stuck into the standings and have a quick look and we'll, we'll get your thoughts so in the via play elite league we're going to start with um and looking at the standings there sitting in first place uh, is the belfast giants with 46 games played and 71 points 
followed in second by the Guildford Flames, 45 games played, 68 points. And Cardiff Devils are in third with 46 games played, 68 points as well. Uh, the Sheffield Steelers currently sit in fourth with 45 games played, 66 points. Coventry Blaze are in fifth with 45 games played, 58 points. The Nottingham Panthers are in sixth with 44 games played, 40 points. But Manchester are right on their heels with 46 games played and 40 points. Glasgow Clan, which is interesting, uh went from having the least amount of played games in the league at the start of the season to now having the most games played at this point with 50 games played and 33 points. The Five Flyers then sit in ninth with 47 games played, 30 points, and Dundee holding up the table, 44 games played, 25 points. Um, let's look at the bottom. No, let's look at the top. Let's start with the top. Let's let's look at the bottom in a minute. Let's start with the top. So, John, I mean, we've talked about it. we said it there already. Four weeks left of the season. Um, we have... Belfast, uh, Guildford, and the Cardiff Devils. I suppose we can't, we can't. I suppose we can't write off Sheffield yet because obviously they're they're sitting there sixty. No, no. Let's 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 write them off. Come on, let let's be let's be Belfast Giants fans here. Let's let, let's write off the Sheffield Steelers. I nah, it's not going to happen for them. I don't see Sheffield Steelers doing anything further. I don't. No, I don't. They're I, in a fight. They're in a fight for third. They're in a fight for third. We have we we the Belfast Giants play the Sheffield Steelers this coming Saturday. That'll be an interesting one. That's all I'll say. Yep. That's that that is in Sheffield. Guildford Flames um, have took a bit of a knock over the last couple of games. Um, although what I will say is Coventry players. Uh, defeated the Belfast Giants this past Sunday. It was a doubleheader this past Sunday in Belfast. Belfast took one game on the Saturday and the Sunday game, uh, the uh, the Coventry Blaze came back and won the second game, taking the two points in the second game, to which I think a lot of us then, the response was, uh-oh, that, that's not kind of what we were hoping for, uh, especially coming into this r- last run of things. But then they also, Coventry Blaze also beat the Guildford Flames last night, which was the... 8th March the 8th which is Wednesday um, and they did beat them last night as well um, so I mean Coventry kind of doing us a favour as well they're um, taking points off Guildford um, John uh, I suppose let's look at it tough running for uh, all teams but um, I think the when you look at the, the running for the, the games and, and the remainder part of the season the Belfast Giants do have a bit of a tougher run we have the Sheffield Steelers this coming weekend um, and then we also have the Sheff- or the, the Cardiff Devils double header in Belfast the following weekend or not the following weekend the, yes the following weekend the 18th 19th so the, the St. Patrick's Day weekend as they're calling it um, I mean the the whole talk um at the moment among the fan base i don't know if you agree um will be that is it a possibility that we're looking at the final home game in belfast is the belfast giants versus the the guildford flames could we see the the league coming down to that final weekend i honestly i've been looking at this table um pretty much since i was over and i was at the sunday game against coventry which was a defeat uh, I've been. I cannot take my eyes off the running for these two teams. Um, like you say, the Belfast Giants sitting with a running that includes uh, two games against Sheffield, two games against Cardiff, two games against Manchester, and then Guildford and Dundee in the final weekend. Um, the biggest problem we've got is uh, Sheffield are going to put themselves in a position of being uh, league ruiners. So. If they can go out and take those two wins, they're going to see it as having effectively crowned Guildford. Um, Cardiff are going to be in exactly the same position. Um, they're going to be. They know fine rightly that the the title is more than likely out of reach for them unless Guildford and Belfast have a complete collapse over their last what 
um, eight, eight, nine games, depending on which team you are. Um, the one that I would not take my eyes off is the fact that we have two games against Manchester. Manchester humiliated the Giants over a doubleheader weekend. So to think that there's any easy games in this run-in is just nonsense. Uh, now, I am planning at this point, if things go well, to go to the last league game of the season, which is going to be over here in Dundee. Um, I very much hope that the league is tied up by then, but I would be very happy to be in the minority if it came down to that final date. We've seen these games, these leagues come down to, not even the last game, to sit in a hotel after you've played all your games and watching other teams play. Um, now, it won't come to that because I think all the teams are playing their final games on that final Sunday. Correct. Um, so I, I would expect and I would hope that things are going to be wrapped up. But do you know what? As much as I wish that we potentially had tied up the league by Christmas, there's nothing better than an exciting run-in. Um, you look at the, and I know we're going to talk about it, the Challenge Cup final. It would have been nicer if that result was a little bit tighter. Um, there's something about your enjoyment level, your heart rate going up in a, a run-in or in a tight game like that. So, I mean, my eyes are fixed for this run-in and I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, I hope it comes down to that last weekend. And I mean, no matter what happens, you know, towards the end of the season, the one thing I will say is, and we've we talked about this right from, from the start of the season, right from as early as probably October time, I'd say probably the, as the earliest point, where we talked about the fact that it's refreshing to see the likes of Guildford Flames sitting where they are and staying where they have been all season long and showing that they're not just one of those teams that we're holding up or, or adding to the numbers in the league, which is what people used to kind of think of Guildford Flames. And that's yeah. not what's happened this year, that Guildford have fought. And you know what? It's it's great. It's exciting. Um, and all I'll say, John, is if they if it comes down to that final game in Dundee, don't be surprised if I if I say, uh, have you got a sofa for the night? Um, because I will <laughs> potentially Oh, don't worry. Over. There's there's uh, about five different beds that you could probably sleep in. Oh, night, great. So so I'll, I'll not put you on the sofa. Great. I'll not put you on the sofa. Perfect. Um, let's just have a quick look just at the bottom end of that league. Um, just um, while, we're, while we're just looking. Um, obviously, we have um, five teams who have clinched playoff spots already. Um, but it's the playoff spots, the last couple of playoff spots, the last three playoff spots um, are still to be decided the six, seven and eighth places um, and the reason why we say that is obviously the uh, well we could probably say now well we'll say, say now Nottingham and Manchester obviously will kind of you know probably take two of those spots no matter what um, it doesn't really matter which way they end in terms of what position seven and six and seven although Panthers currently in sixth and could move down to seventh but it doesn't matter I think both are kind of safe enough at the moment um, although they haven't got X's there I'd say that's probably very unlikely that Fife and, and Dundee will take a point where they'll come up that high but you never know um, but I think what we're looking at here is probably that eight and ninth place um, that Glasgow clan versus the Fife Flyers kind of um, position obviously as we say the Glasgow clan are sitting with 50 games played 33 points and Fife Flyers have three games in hand over that having only played 47 games and 30 points uh, what is interesting is obviously the Dundee have 40 only played 44 games so they have six games under Glasgow and they're on 25 points so that last spot is still quite tasty in terms of the fight for that final spot for the playoffs um, what do you see it going for the Glasgow for the Scotland teams it's sad to see that it's pretty definite that only one of them makes it to playoffs and it will be in that eighth spot which means they will be playing the league champions uh, going into uh, a home away 
uh, Challenge Cup quarterfinal. Um, so, I mean, we talk about the way that things have gone. Look at the Challenge Cup. There's nothing's a certainty in this game, but it's unlikely that a Scottish team will make it to the final four weekend at this point. If you're looking at form, um, Glasgow are looking really precarious. Um, just interestingly, I'm having a look at their running. They only have four league games left. Uh, they've played 50 games. They've only got four left, and those games are Guildford, Fife, Glasgow, uh, Nottingham, sorry, and Sheffield. Those are hard games because you've got three league content or sorry, two league contenders, um, your playoff competition, and the Nottingham Panthers, who, to be honest, are fighting for sixth place at this point, and a, as as good a draw as they can expect going into playoffs. Um, those are not easy games. Uh, those points against Fife, for example, are massive. Uh, it might as well be a four-point game because um, that could be a massive swing. There's only three points between them at this point. Uh, and when you consider that their game before they come up against Fife is going to be a, a game against a Guildford team who are desperate for every point that they can get as they chase the Giants for the league title. Um, so it's it's a tough one. Fife have three games in hand over the Glasgow clan. Yep. Um, and that is going to be, I think, really interesting to see how that team responds. Again, I keep saying, we should have talked about it at the very, very start. We should have talked about the Challenge Cup. But this is a team that are in recovery mode after the Challenge Cup. Um, they really, unfortunately, did not show up to a final that they tried really, really hard to get to. Um, but they have an interesting run in as well. Uh, they've got Nottingham, Coventry, Manchester, obviously Glasgow, Cardiff, Dundee and Guildford. So they have games against opposition who have things to play for. Yep. Um, Nottingham, again, they're fighting for that position. Coventry, really, they're they're just fighting to be kingmakers at this point, um, potentially. Um, that's that's the biggest thing about Coventry. Um, but Manchester, they're in that fight with Nottingham for position at this point. Uh, and again, Cardiff and Guildford, there's two two big, big teams who are scrapping for points. Mm-hmm. But again, Fife are in a position where they've got potentially six points to win, uh, to leapfrog Glasgow and put them down into, into ninth and put themselves into eighth. It'll be really interesting. Again, the top of the league, super, super interesting, super enthusiastic about the way that it's going because it's so tight. Bottom of the table, you absolutely love to see a run for that final playoff position. Yep. It's yep. great and it makes for massively entertaining games for the final four weekends yeah and also you know it it it, it still it still gives that you know there's still an interest there still happening for those the fans of those teams as well you know it's not you know it's not the end of the, the season you know there's still games there to be played that are, are meaningful games especially for those the teams sitting at the bottom you know there's still very key games and it still makes things interesting so uh yeah interesting uh the t- next time we record it'll be we'll be two weeks left of the season i think by that point um so it'll be twitchy sphincter mode it will be it will be very much so very much so um uh, john i'm gonna move us across the water um to the nhl before we move into our period one 
I'll just take a quick look just at the standings uh, in the NHL. Uh, starting with the Eastern Conference and Metropolitan Division, Carolina sit top with 62 games played at 92 points. Uh, New Jersey Devils sit in second with 63 games played in 63 games played at 88 points. And the New York Rangers are in third with 63 games played at 79 points. In the Atlantic Division then, it stays the same. Boston are in top with 62 games played at 103 points. Toronto are in second with 64 games played at 86 points. And Tampa are in third with 64 games played and 81 points uh the wild card spots are currently held by new york and islanders and the pittsburgh penguins um is that here so we'll just mention philadelphia in eighth place there <clears throat> moving on to the western side and we're looking at the central division um dallas are sitting top with 64 games played 81 points minnesota are in second 65 games played 81 points and colorado are in third place there with 62 games played 76 points in the pacific division then vegas sit top with 64 games played 82 points Los Angeles have moved into second with 65 games played, 82 points. And Seattle moved down into third with 64 games played and 80 points. Uh, Wildcard spots currently held by Edmonton and Winnipeg. Um, although what would be noted is... No, actually... No. Yep. Yeah. No, actually, what should be noted is, again, like talk about this every season, the uh, places there after that, um, Calgary and Nashville, are still within contention. They're quite close in relation to the points um, for those point, those positions in wildcard. Uh, Nashville have only played 61 games compared to the 65 games, sitting on 69 points. So there is still a possibility to leapfrog into a second, at least the second place spot there for the wildcard spots, uh, which I'm sure, John, you're hoping for too. <laughs> I don't know. I'm in two minds. Like, obviously, I love seeing the Preds make playoffs. Uh, but even if we do make playoffs, this will not be our year. Um, we are a franchise that is in essentially a soft rebuild. Um, David Poile is leaving the team, uh, the only GM that we've had since the team's inception. Um, and uh, side note: the league's most winningest GM uh, in history. He's won more games as a GM than any other um, GM in history. Um, but with Barry Trotz coming in, uh, the the most successful coach in Predators history, coming in to be the new GM, um, who, as it turned out, I hadn't even realised this, that when he retired, he, he just lives in Nashville. Like he, he just never moved away. He loves the place so much that he just stayed there. Yeah. So I don't know whether this was long game by the organisation saying, right, David's going to go eventually... Barry, stick around. You're you're coming in. Uh, we want you to run the team. I'm really excited to see what he can do as GM because his hockey credentials are probably second only to the likes of David Poiley. Uh, but he's got a winning set of credentials as well. So I'd love to see what he's going to do with the organization going forward. Uh, that's my take on Nashville. Can I take you back over to the east and discuss one thing because I noticed it's not in our running order and I want to I want to point this out. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's talk about Boston. And I know as a Leafs fan you don't like to talk about Boston. No. Nope. Let's talk about the Boston Bruins. Fastest NHL franchise in league's 103-year history to hit 100 points. points. Yeah. Yep, this, and, that's and a dangerous team this season. That, there's no argument there. They they're 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 a team who, from from day one of this season, they have been looking 
just a, a class above everyone else. Just, a, a, I mean, sheer dominance this this season. Um, and it shows, you know, that statistic that you just said there. I mean, it, it's 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 a clear indication of how they play this season. It has been. But just look at the look at the point spread. Look I know at the point spread yeah. when you go to the yeah. when you go to the league standings, the the league overall standings. Sixty two games played for hundred and three points. The next team, Carolina Hurricanes, have played the same number of games, sixty two games, but are eleven points behind. Yeah. Yeah, that's is it. With the vast majority of the league having actually played more games. Look, look at the differential. Yeah, it's <laughs> insane. A, it's a, it's a insane. differential of a plus one hundred five. Yeah, insane. I mean, that is a team scoring goals for fun. It's it's that's insane. It's it's crazy, absolutely insane. And even if you does anyone does anyone stop them on a run to the cup? I know that playoffs is is a different ball game. I mean. Look at this jersey sat hanging here, like President's Trophy winners, and then got absolutely bombed out. Mm-hmm. Um, winning the league, winning the President's Trophy doesn't get you anything. It doesn't guarantee anything when you go through. But that sort of form is insane. Yep. I mean, if you're any of the teams in the wildcard spots and you're looking at this point of potentially hitting Boston in the first round, I'd be inclined to throw in the towel. I mean, we are we are we're going to be coming back to the playoffs because um, one of the big things we're going to talk about in our second period, um, we're, we are going to cover obviously the the trade the trade day trade day and trade deadline day, um, I should say, um, which took place last week, um, and it's quite a significant sh- shaping around of a uh, shipping around of different players and and kind of seeing where some of those teams are kind of moving and some of the kind of you know movement shaking they've done, um, and some big names moving, some surprise names moved as well, um, which we'll get into as well we'll look at the fact that like you know uh the bruins have made a, a, a kind of what i think has been a, a phenomenal sign to strengthen their team moving into the playoff spot and I, I kind of thought to myself well they're already quite strong as it is why like you know now that they've they've made these moves um you know three moves in total i think they made that which which just make them even seem even more dominant and more scary and it's just like to say that having seen where they already are at this point of the season it's it as you say john like when you come to think about the, the playoffs i know as you say it's a different kind of it's a different ball game when it comes to playoffs but i, I it's just I, the I way that I they've been see. playing it's going to take something massive yeah. and do you know what do you know what see if that massive thing was the leafs beating them in the first round i would take it this is if you're gonna do it any year this is the year to do it. They won't see each other in the first round, though. They won't see each other. I think you, if it, if it. No, I think Toronto should organise it. I oh, think right, you should okay. just start bombing, start bombing games. I just lean, lean into the history, Marty. Like, just get yourselves organise it. Get yourself into that position. Start losing games. We want, but you go with the mentality. We want Boston in the first round. I think we I, either take them out or they go for the run for the cup. Let's just let's just take them in the first round. <laughs> I think I did read it. Um, I think I was reading there the yesterday about the that if it, if the league ends kind of currently as it is sitting right now, which kind of looks like it might happen that way. Um, it, Toronto wouldn't meet. Boston. Would the Cardiff Devils win the the cup because they can go toe to toe with any NHL franchise? Clearly. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be the third round before they would potentially see each other if they both get to that stage. So I think that was what they said. No, I'm, so. I'm, see, I'm serious. The Leafs need to start bombing games, drop down. And take the Bruins in the first round. That's your only <laughs> hope of winning the Stanley Cup this season. No, we know that that's never going to happen in Stanley Cup. Play- we never, we never can't get Boston in the playoffs. That's always a, a bad, bad recipe. Um, it's not. 
It's not. Lean into it. Lean into it. <laughs> um, we will come back to the NHL uh, in our second period and we will start talking about that playoff running because, um, again, playoffs are coming up on us quite quick as well in the NHL. Um, that will start in April time as well. So we will get back to that. Um, but, John, what we'll do is we'll get stuck into our period one of hockey and, 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 and get stuck into our main news items. Okay, period one is a roundup of news stories from around the UK. Um, we're going to start off, obviously, with the story we've been wanting to talk about from our intro and from the start, and we'll talk about it. We have to talk about it, obviously, now, uh, which is exciting for us because we want to talk about it. Um, that's obviously, of course, the Challenge Cup, uh, the Via Play Challenge Cup has been decided for 2023, having the Belfast Giants um, taking the win 9-3 over the Five Flyers in what was a sold-out, jam-packed SSE arena. Um the I, I i mean the, let's like what you know where should we go with it first let's let's start with the first thing the first obvious thing um and that's the scoreline john let's start with that first and um, we'll go with that um after the game was done and dusted the game was completed um a, a lot of smatter smothering 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 is that the word is that what i'm trying to find a lot of smattering sprinkling i don't know you know there's a lot of a lot of fans on social media anyway yeah, just, sprinkling just whatever it was um a, um a lot of fans on social media from other teams shall we say across the league um saying that the it was a farce the fact that uh that it was a challenge it was a final that got to a scoreline of of that that nature um some people are saying is it just some teams fans just being a bit bitter that they weren't there some other people saying actually you have a fair point that it should have probably been a closer game uh you know what who who cares? There were 10 teams who went into the Challenge Cup this year. Two of them made it to the final on merit, on goals scored, on games won. Those were the Belfast Giants and the Five Flyers. If you're a fan of any other team and you're complaining about the result of a cup final where your team wasn't, maybe have a look closer at home and figure out why your team wasn't in that final. And if you are in Sheffield in particular, you need to ask very, very strong questions about why your team wasn't in that final. Yeah. Because you went in in pole position and you had every opportunity. Um, at the point now where I'm sick of hearing from Sheffield fans about the logistical impossibilities of getting to Belfast on a Wednesday, um, do you know what? It clearly wasn't logistically impossible because plenty of you had your hotels and your flights booked prior to you even booking your place in the final. And in fact... There were a few of you in the arena as well, so it was clearly logistically possible, which I proved myself by coming from Fife over, and so did over 700 Fife fans. So do you know what? The Fife Flyers earned their spot in that final. Yes, it was a tough result for them, but 700-odd fans, the entire squad, earned their place in that final. And they were there, they were loud, and... I hope they enjoyed it as well because it was a cracking night, especially if you're a Belfast Giants fan. Four out of the last five Challenge Cups. Yep, um, and I, I I echo exactly what you say. Um, a lot of a lot of chat um, was going around about obviously the scoreline, about you know Fife being there. We had people talking about uh, it was always gonna it was really un, it's always unfair every year. And like listen, like 
we, we, we're John's the first one that'll admit it. Like we talk about it, we joke around about it at the start of every season. John's favorite cup is the Challenge Cup because it takes so long to get to the point where we get to the final. Oh, yeah. The least the group stages take way too long. We've talked about how we can fix pre and pre. Like we've been asked a question by people fa- uh, from listeners. You know, how do we fix it going forward? We've put our forward our ideas of how we fix it. We know it's not going to be fixed anytime soon, and we get it. Like you know, we ha- we've seen people complaining about you know, oh, the Giants are always going to get home at home advantage because they'll always win their 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 group stage. Fair enough. Maybe we will, but there's been stages where um, there's been there's been pe- previous previous seasons where uh, we've had we struggled in that group stage in our group stage because up until the first up until the first time we or sorry not the first time we won it but um, back in I want to say 2017 2018 when we beat Cardiff in Ice Arena Wales that was the start of this wrong run of success in the Challenge Cup. It was a cup that the Giants couldn't buy. It was also one of the, but the thing is, and, and people will argue that, oh yeah, but it's different because at that point they didn't have home ice advantage because obviously it was being played in a, sorry, neutral, in inverted commas, a neutral venue. That first year against Cardiff that's, Devils. That's well, that's well enough if you're not a Cardiff Devils fan. Yeah, that first year against Cardiff Devils, it wasn't a neutral venue. The second year, yes, we played against Guildford and maybe that was a neutral venue because we played in Car- we played in Cardiff and it was Belfast versus Guildford and therefore you could say it was, a, but again. Do you know what? The, the second final that Cardiff went to the neutral venue was Ice Arena Wales they got beat at home again as well so do you know what the home ice advantage yes when you succeed and when you're the home team and you lift a cup yes you get to talk about home ice advantage in Belfast case you get to talk about six odd thousand Belfast Giants fans getting to watch the home team win the Challenge Cup we've done it twice now in Belfast okay we also did it twice in Ice Arena Wales yep once yep. against the home team, who clearly had home ice advantage, and once against a team who were just slightly different colours than the home team um, in the um, Guildford Flames. So stop chatting about home ice advantage. Your owners, your, the owners of your teams, went into this competition and agreed it. And like you said, the Challenge Cup is a complete disaster of a competition. It shouldn't last as long as it does. It's a completely broken format. It's absolutely insane that we are four weeks to the end of the regular league season and we've only just finished it. It's a complete and utter disaster. Yep. Do you know what? I'll take it. We just lifted a trophy. Nine other teams didn't. Shove it up, yous. Uh, we'll, we'll finish. We'll move, before we move on to the next year, we'll, just, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of positive notes that came out of the Challenge Cup final because I feel like it's it's worth mentioning and worth shouting out to some people for, for just what was put on was actually a very great, like it was a very good presentation of the whole thing. The one thing I will yep. say is that the Giants organisation, as long who maybe coordinated with the Elite League, Although had home ice advantage because obviously it was being held in the SSA arena, that entrance opening and whole setup about the initial game part was first class. Uh, it made it feel like both teams had a fair advantage and were both being represented equally. Both having videos to start with, having um, the flames, the fireworks all starting at the very start of the game as the both teams are coming out. All of that was the same for both teams. There was no advantage to the Belfast Giants like they normally would have on home ice arena where they have the flames on, the, on their own. That all happened at the start. It was, I, I felt personally that that was a great showing and as you say john uh, a big shout out um has to go to the the five flyers uh, osc the five flyers uh, supporters club or whatever they call themselves because i mean they logistically got like bus loads uh, i mean bus loads of fans to that I think arena it was roughly i think it was about 770 um five fans phenomenal, made a phenomenal I mean, to be honest show. When I when I was leaving Fife, someone just said to me, "Sure, will you turn the lights off on your way out?" <laughs> like Fife, Fife just emptied into Belfast. Yeah, um, it was. It was I, great. I had to hang the I had to hang the keys 
like in Edinburgh so that the first person back could get in. Oh yeah, okay. The kingdom, yeah, I have to open the gates. Yeah, yeah, we we locked the bridge. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's clearly. Um but the whole thing itself I thought was uh, it was great showing um the, the, the presentation itself was fantastic and oh, just... the the, enter- the entertainment value of sort of what was put on was absolutely fantastic. Like you say, the the start was neutral there was one video was put up on the screens in the arena and i assume on the the via play broadcast as well it highlighted both teams it highlighted both teams arenas fans mascots all of that it, there was no one or lean one way or the other regardless of where the competition was taking place um it was absolutely fantastic it was do you know what i loved i loved seeing the pyro back in that arena yeah as well like i know i know why we stopped doing it uh, a few seasons ago like we had maybe one full season where we did the the pyro thing in the SSE and I know why we stopped because there were complaints uh, about it um about consistently like bangs and flashes and everything um but just the value of seeing the team skate out to that the trophy being there the sparks going up um it was absolutely fantastic and then even at the end the presentation the way that it was run, uh, Mike Hicks being on the ice to present the trophy to uh, David Goodwin, um, the celebration on ice. Um, I've gone back and watched some of the highlights as well. The the broadcast, the coverage from Viaplay, um, from uh, Aaron Murphy and Sheds uh, doing commentary, just absolutely fantastic. Brilliant, um, brilliant thing. I would have loved to see again the broadcast maybe been done in a more accessible manner i know that loads of people have subscriptions to via play um but it would still be really really great to see that our one of our highlight finals broadcast on free to air tv um, i know that some people have their issues with um sort of the, the old bbc broadcast that there used to be the sky broadcast but to be fair that was a subscription service as well but um it would still be nice to highlight that somewhere um, yeah and i don't know why like i don't know why you look at the likes of channel four um as a total aside now i'm stepping away from the challenge cup but you look at channel four moving into things like um rugby league um now we're getting across the elite league we're getting crowds pretty comparable to rugby league so why are we not approaching the likes of them put it on channel four put tv timeouts in because channel four has advert breaks we're doing that already with viaplay um and I get it, Via Player. The people are going to come at me now about this Via Play sponsor the league. Of course, they're going to put a yeah, that's fine, that's great. Let them let them do that. But we want to grow the sport, um, so let's let people watch it without having to pay a fortune in subscriptions to a, a subscription service. I think that, and I think that's a great argument. I think that is a great argument. Um, I know Via Play. Obviously, I'm sure they still have. I think is Free Sport still part of Via Play's um, collection of? of they, t- they took Premier and Free Sport. So, I, I, but I don't. I've never. I'll be honest. I haven't looked at I don't it. No, and I know they, they, the Elite League. The Elite League games are never on Free Sports. They're yeah, always on. They, and they the, won't. They the paid version. Yeah, they won't put them on Free Sport because they know people will want to pay to um, watch it and they'll pay for subscription. And I get that. But again, as you say having an option there where even like once or twice per year where there's an option to kind of increase and, and, and build your, your audience for the Elite League and, and for the for the, for ice hockey is generally in the UK. Well maybe is is that the is that the argument? Is it the argument that the the Challenge Cup final and maybe the maybe the playoff final 
um, or maybe at least the playoff semi-finals, do they go on the free equivalent version? I think they should. Should, should they be on um, something that's free to air and then you say, right, you, get, you suck them in yep. and you go, right, okay, there's your semi-final. You know the, um, you know the setup for the finals. Come on, come and pay to watch the final. Come and pay to watch the um, the playoff final. Even show your um, two leg um, semi-finals in the Challenge Cup. If we don't fix this stupid format, put those on the free one and then put your your final on the the pay. I'm not going back on myself. I said I want to see it on free to air TV, but there's got to be a way to to yeah, do that. that I agree. Um, the via play or the, any league sponsor, if they are a broadcaster, get to push their subscriptions. But the only way to push the subscriptions is to bring people in. Some, and the best way to do that is to put it out there for free. Before we move on to the next bit of the story, um, some people will argue, just um, sticking with the, the free-to-air thing, some old-school Giants fans will argue that they don't want the whole BBC free-to-air free thing for fa- big finals because uh, I think the, the final against Air back in the day I think was a, was a bit of a jinx because it was on BBC and I think the Giants completely... Yeah, I think they completely choked you know on what? that night. People, people have talked about different things before. We complained about the black jerseys. We snapped that curse. Um, so let's get it on free. Like same way I said, like the Leafs want the Bruins in the first round. You're going to snap this at some point. Put the Giants in a final on free to air TV and we'll still win it as well <laughs> um, before we move on to a completely different subject and different story I just want to stick with this one it's a different story but it's still sticking with the, the Challenge Cup uh, the Challenge Cup uh, the Challenge Cup Friday and the Challenge Cup final did see the, the first time um, the Elite League decided to collect time on ice live in play data um, they're currently preparing upgrades to the Game Centre and back end statistic platforms for the 2023 and 2024 season so they used the Challenge Cup as the tester um, for this new system um, they will be doing it again uh, for the, the the collecting the same ice data collection information for the playoff finals weekend for both semi-finals and also the final. And the idea will be that the, it'll just kind of give a broader picture and information data collection for the whole season in relation to players on, on ice times. It looks at plus minus numbers. It's got a lot more than what I'd ever had. John, have you had a chance to look at the document that they prepared for this out of this? So it was a PDF. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, had a, I've had a look and I'm looking at it now, but... I'm more interested to know how they did this. And I know that um, so Mike Hicks's press release about this, he basically says thanks to the giant stats team for facilitating this. Is this is this data literally people logging this by hand into a, a database, or is there a, a technical form format that's been used for this? Has there been player tracking? Has that is that how that's been done? Has it been done in a similar fashion to rugby where they've got the the sensor in their back or have they literally just collected live data by having a team of people sat in the arena going and they're on and they're off and they're on and they're off see this is my question i wanted to know the same i was going to ask you exactly the same question of how you thought this was done because i can't imagine someone i can't imagine them having like 12 people in or like no, not 12 10 people uh, in in the stands, and clicking the bu- clicking a stopwatch every single time. Say Rupp gets on, click the stopwatch. Rupp gets on, right? Rips and off. Stop that stopwatch. Okay, uh, you know, like Cullens came on quickly. Start the stopwatch. You know, yeah. I don't know how they've done it. So there must be there has to be some form of technical. There has to be something. has to be has to be because it's down, it's down to the second and everything. Um, more interestingly, that let's let's leave that all to the side. I'm just looking at the stats that are on there. You see our face off stats. Yeah. You've yeah. got Grant Cooper and David Joubert, hundred percent on the face-off dot. 
<laughs> exactly. I know. Insane. Fantastic. It's it's crazy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable statistics for that. Unbelievable. Uh, whenever you look at like um, when you take a look of um, when you look over at Fife's, they, I think their highest was fifty-seven, which was uh, Chris Lawrence. Oh, their centre uh, was their highest yep. percentage of the face-offs. Um, so it's it's insane. But when you looked at the times as well, if you look at the times of people spent on ice as well as as well as that, like I mean, you know, you look at it and you have the that the top numbers in in Belfast. You know, you've got the likes of um, why is this not scrolling up? Um, you've got the likes of who had it, who had I seen notice had the top spot uh sam up with the most minutes on ice um followed by will cullen um but when you look at it, it was 22 point 22 minutes for each of them on the ice but if you switch over to fife and you look at the top in fife i mean you had uh mikhail johansson there 27 minutes and 17 seconds spent in total on ice i mean that's uh that's a crazy nearly amount half game. That's, that's nearly half a game you know that's this uh stats like this show you the difference in um teams with and without depth in the squad. So Belfast Giants clearly able to spread their ice time across two and a half, nearly three full lines um, of forwards and defensemen. Whereas with um, Fife, they are clearly leaning incredibly heavy on their first line yeah. with a little bit on their second and third lines, but nowhere near as much as they're no. leaning on their first lines. Yeah. Um, interestingly the other thing I'm noticing in this data that really annoys me is the goaltender data just isn't there so um, for both teams it shows that uh, Tyler Beskarwani and Shane Owen spent no minutes on ice yeah uh, yeah well yeah yeah and I'll tell you I'll tell you the other thing that annoys me uh, about this um, and the way that uh, this has been presented you see the team colours <laughs> oh my god i was just about to say to you i was you stole that from me you're in my head you stole that from me i was just about to say when did belfast start playing in green listen there's a reason we don't play in green and the league need to respect that damn it teal god damn it teal um but i thought that was have a word with themselves it's it's really it's really really cool to see and you know what the the tech is there um you get there's even camera systems out there that can track the players that we we talked about one of the systems uh, on the podcast maybe last season um where there was a um i think there was a a loan program in the nihl and they, they could be used for i think webcasts uh, as well where it, it did sort of puck tracking um so it could swing left and right um but <laughs> It, it would just be interesting to know more about how the data is collected. Not just the fact that it's collected. The fact that it is, is fantastic. But it would be good to know how they're doing it in the same way that it would be good to know why some teams still don't have goal line technology. The last thing I'll say before we move on is that, um, you know, they've got if it is high-tech technology and stuff, it's still good to see the league can um, still have um, human error when it comes to publishing some of their information. If you look at the top right-hand side of the actual document, it says Via Play Elite League Season 2018-19 Group Final. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, hexy, 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 hexy. Something wrong there. But uh, anyway, we'll move on um, to another story. Um, John, we'll switch over to you for your story. Um, yeah, this was um, one that just popped up um, tonight, actually. Um, so this was a, a press release that was put out by the Manchester Storm, who have come out this evening and said... Um, Following the recent rise in running costs, the club have been left with no alternative but to reluctantly increase ticket prices for the remaining home games of the 2022-23 Elite League season. 
Um, over the last few months, we've come under ever-growing price increases for day-to-day -day running of the organisation. We've been working tirelessly to cover these costs, but are left with no option but to increase ticket prices. This is predominantly down to the significant increase in energy prices for commercial organisations. We note that we should have communicated this to you, our fans, sooner and apologise for that. The club is nothing without our loyal fans and we deeply appreciate your ongoing support as we continue to grow as an organisation. So clearly, um, they've hit some financial problems with having to maintain their ice plant um, and keep the place effectively frozen. Um, but there's obviously been people who've noticed ticket increases, uh, ticket price increases uh, to get into uh, Altrincham Arena uh, or Altrincham, Altrincham Arena, Altrincham Ice Rink, um, and the club have had to come out and uh, make the statement. It's not a great look for a club um, especially at this point in the season um, you can totally accept them having to do it I mean everyone's in the same position uh, energy costs for everyone whether you're a commercial organisation or you're someone sitting at home are enormous uh, bigger than they've ever been uh, and a lot of people are struggling um, but you would think that uh, an organisation who's reliant on tickets sold at the gate would maybe be more forthright with this because um, I think fans could forgive you if you were forthright and upfront about it um, but I think maybe you can burn some bridges uh, if you try to be sneaky about it and just mm. increase your ticket price um, it's unfortunate but it's I don't know it's it feels like something that wouldn't have happened under Omar Pasha in his day in that team um, who is now of a, a different parish up in Nottingham um or down down in Nottingham up in Nottingham dying dying I have no idea my English geography is terrible dying. um dying. anyway he's somewhere somewhere different in Englandshire um so yeah in, interesting one uh but uh quite a quite a hard one for the last few few weeks of the regular season for uh, Manchester to have to do I was about to say I mean obviously obviously things have become to a point where they've obviously felt that they need the ticket, the ticket increase need to happen now and not any later which obviously it's it's fine and as you say like maybe the communication has been poor in relation to the fact that the cost has been went up and they tried to do it without kind of consultation without people letting people know and people were kind of like here what's going on like what's going on here I think it does come as a surprise because you know it, it's it's unusual for a ticket price to rise mid-season um, for any team so it probably has came as quite a bit of a shock and a bit of a surprise if they if someone's gone along paid for one game already and then all of a sudden the next time around they go to pay for another game it's like oh why is there an extra two pound on top of the ticket cost this time around compared to last time and why does it happen mid-season um as I, as I say most teams will probably usually try to wait until the season comes to an end and then announce you know unfortunately next season we'll have to raise our ticket prices which i will say we'll probably see for maybe a few teams next year um although although season ticket prices are starting to come out i've noticed for for teams across the league and um they do seem quite competitive in terms of like you know there doesn't seem to be too much of a change in relation to um significant changes anyway in terms of costs uh yeah there's a pound here or there maybe but nothing nothing of significance in relation to kind of like you know sticking their arm in or anything now we haven't seen a certain team that plays in yellow yet what their season tickets are going to be but um Sheffield announced theirs this week and I kind of thought you know myself um, fair play to Sheffield's as well I kind of thought you know what they're actually half decent prices for they're kind of stuck in their round where they kind of the war last season too so I sometimes you know. feel that the arena I, I think the arena teams get a they maybe get a bit of a an, a tough ride on that that yes they generally have fairly competitive pricing um, 
but sometimes even small increases from those larger fan bases can get uh, uh people's hackles up a little bit um whereas the smaller teams they they don't have the capacity to spread their costs over just as many fans mm-hmm. um, so that's why you see for example it's just looking out of interest uh, at what this new ticket price for manchester is so manchester's game this weekend against belfast giants is 23 pound uh, a ticket which is pretty expensive sorry what i mean it's probably it's probably not the most expensive that's out there um uh, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is, 23? but yeah, twenty twenty three pound a seat. That's, that's so. You you take two people going to the game. You've got probably not enough change out of fifty quid for a pint. Nope, that's was not expecting it to be. I don't I don't know why I don't know what price I was expecting it to be. I didn't I wasn't expecting to hear that price. But any oh yeah mm. wow interesting. So there you go. But yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see what season ticket prices do as we move forward in the off season and depending on what the energy market does. Exactly. Um, we'll move on to our last story for this period, um, and it's just a quick one um, because obviously a lot of these games have already passed, so we already know what this is. But we, it'd be remiss of us not to talk about it because it is one of our favorite subjects, and we haven't had a chance to talk about it since these were released um, and, and images were put up. So as we know, the Retro Weekend, the Elite League held a, a retro games across the Elite League, um, mostly this past weekend, but also a few, um, one more being played tonight in the like in. Cardiff, uh, Cardiff game is being played tonight, isn't that right? Cardiff and Manchester playing tonight, um, and it's the retro game in Cardiff tonight. Marty, you, t- you say that the game is currently ongoing. Would you like to know the current score? Uh, the game should be nearly finished, isn't it? But yes, tell me what the score is, John. The the current score uh, at forty five forty seven. Uh, so obviously we we are very much into the third period now. Is the Cardiff Devils one? The Manchester Storm one? Oh. Um, but it would be remiss of us not to talk about the 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 I suppose the retro the, the most important part of the retro thing was the fact that the majority of teams I say majority of teams because um, I'm, I'm going to slam at least one team here um, majority of the teams went for a new a retro look for their jerseys for this for their retro games um, we have some really nice throwbacks in relation to we had like the Nottingham Panthers. Well, some people will like it, some people won't like it. They went back to one of their most famous jersey designs, and that's the yellow and white stri- you know, the white spiky lines. It looks a bit like uh, Charlie Brown, but you know, um, I-, I like it. Um, you know, we have the looks of that. We had the likes of that. We had the likes of the Coventry, the the, the Coventry Blaze going back to that kind of you know dragon cartoon dragon design with the the flames at the bottom which is a really nice like throwback as well and then you go to the likes of the belfast giants who while it was an okay jersey it was a nice jersey there's nothing retro about that jersey in any way shape or form there's nothing that told you about the history of that of this team there was nothing that told you about the the sheer like nothing nothing about that jersey told me it was retro absolutely nothing um but that's yeah. my that's my that's my feelings personal feelings on it there's just nothing we had and um, when people say oh but what would you want i was like well two options you could have went for is a design of her jersey and use we have an old we have another logo an old school logo that we could have used or alternatively go with a season i've got a pile of old jerseys here go with a season one a season three a season four jersey something that was loved by everyone and stick the new the new giants branding on that jersey and you would have had a an amazing jersey you would have had a brilliant retro jersey anyway and retro net itself um apart from maybe a throwback of uh, just listen to my just learned, like my spotify playlist from the 90s um apart from that they had um i think the i think the 
the only thing I noticed was that they did on the screen in Belfast anyway, the only thing I can see was that the screen in Belfast had the font uh, where it had like Belfast and it had the team. It, was, it looked exactly like the old, if anybody who used to go to the games who remembers the old uh, scoreboard in the middle of the arena, um, it looked like the, the it looked like the numbers and the, the lettering from that and that's what was retro about it, nothing really else. Uh, and I think they had a few a few bits and pieces of songs I haven't heard in a while being played uh, for the first time in a while. But apart from that, John, let's get back to the main part, which is the jerseys. Uh, is there any particular jersey? Obviously, the two jerseys that aren't on the Elite League website, but you have seen them, I'm sure, is the Sheffield one and obviously the Brayhead clan. Um, as Glasgow re- reverted back to Brayhead for one night only. Um, any particular jersey uh, for you? You kind of were like, uh, I like that one more than others. It absolutely pains me to say it, but... Nottingham uh, pull the blinder because uh, that is I think for a lot of people if you think about the Nottingham Panthers that is the jersey that's probably their most successful period um, as well that's is it a Super League jersey? I would say it would be I was trying I was trying to remember if it was a Super League or a very early Elite League jersey no it's um, a Super League for them I think it's Super League yeah um, Cardiff Devils as well they did They've been the most interesting, I would say. It's not my favourite, but the most interesting because they did the colour flip and they went back to the um, old school white being mm-hmm. the home colours. Yeah. Um, which, if we're talking about the lack of anything interesting in the retro jersey for the Belfast Giants, that's what I would have liked to see is the return to a white home jersey, uh, especially when you consider that we're one of the few teams in the league who have um, different helmets and socks and everything depending on uh, whether we're playing at home or whether we're playing away so that was an opportunity for the team now to be fair I think actually when I saw the highlights the team did actually wear the white lids they had for the home game I think they were brand new because they were the shiniest things I've ever seen in my life well Honestly. you haven't seen them that's the thing because that's the that's the away gear uh, that they normally wear um, but yeah that I would have liked to have seen something like that but um, I would probably say yeah Nottingham pulled an absolute blinder brilliant jersey Manchester they've got an easy one because everyone still loves that old school hockey mask logo uh, from the original Storm Uh, so whenever they get something like this a throwback jersey or whatever they go back to that logo and uh, that's an instant win Um, it's a shame to see Dundee I know that Dundee have never really had much in the way of uh, well they've never really changed their jersey but it's just not as boring as the Belfast one, but it just looks like a normal season jersey. Um, and the Flyers, massively uninspiring because all they did was recreate uh, a jersey through public vote that was done on their social media for the most popular old school jersey. Um, and I had a, a long chat with Dave, I think, about this. Um, the Flyers are a storied team. They're the oldest team in the UK. They have some real proper old school, like even back to hockey sweaters, um, they could have done a design that could have been so so good mm. and I know that I that, look whenever they brought out a tartan jersey a few years ago that kind of looks like the one that they brought out for the, the retro night I went and grabbed it because I call it my seizure jersey um, if I run past somebody fast enough uh, if they're attacking me then they, they might fall down having an epileptic fit but um, it's, it's just disappointing I mean overall I think the league was quite disappointing Um even the a couple of the teams calling them reverse retro, how dare they? Because you look at the NHL and how they've done the reverse retro, some of them are absolutely amazing. Um, yep. So all it's it's a it's a retro 
yeah. and it's yeah. just an excuse for somebody to design a new jersey. So I think there's yeah. only there's really only two two maybe three teams who I think got it right, and that's. Uh, Nottingham, Cardiff, and Manchester. Uh, I wouldn't take Sheffield out of that because I think Sheffield's design was um, also inspiration. Like it was a great just, I, I it, again, I know you're joking about, but a painting to say it. But Sheffield, I should I should say, clap a hands for Sheffield's because Sheffield's um, jersey itself was so like it was proper 1990s retro with the old um, hockey glove holding the stick. Steelers logo. Uh, um, all that was missing from the front of that jersey was uh, was it Ewan's? I think it was Ewan's beer that sponsored them back in the oh, day. Mc McEwan's uh, sponsored them back in the day. That was all that was missing from that jersey. Um, real retro. And I thought, you know what, Steelers got it right as well. Uh, I thought the Steelers and Nottingham Panthers done f- fantastic job with the jerseys. Um, so okay. massive, massive congrats to them. Okay, that's enough for now for the for the league. Um, we will come back to the league um, in our. Um, in our final segment, uh, which is our um, which is our overtime segment, because we do have a couple of questions in relation to the league that have been put forward to us from a number of people, um, so we will come back to it at the future. But uh, John, what we'll do is we'll get moved over to our period two of hockey. We didn't actually discuss who's going to do period two. So no, we didn't. I was waiting to see what you were going to do. I was going to ask you. So it's the two of us. So who's actually doing this one? I'll take it. Uh, period two is a roundup of stories then from anywhere else um, across the world, um, primarily focusing mostly uh, this time around on the NHL. A um, couple of big stories coming out of the NHL, a couple of big things coming out of the NHL uh, to talk about, um, and we'll just get stuck into the first one. The first one, I guess, is a continuation of stories that have been the story, a story that has been kind of um, dominating over this season um, especially over this last three months um, in the Elite League um, or sorry in the uh, NHL and that is the story of um, for anyone who doesn't know in the NHL the NHL has a program in the NHL um, which is um, supposed to be around inclusion for all within the Elite League uh, or sorry within the NHL I keep saying Elite League in the NHL Um, and as part of that is the um, hockey is for everyone is the campaign and as part of that, each year, um, you already know the story, each year the each team will do a Pride, annual Pride night. Um, and this year already we have seen a bit of controversy in um, New York um, following um, basically the full team deciding in New York that there was not going to be a Pride night in, in, in as much as they advertised Pride night with Pride jerseys and Pride tape and it didn't happen, didn't take place. Um, they still had a Pride night, but they didn't have any of the extra razzle-dazzle jerseys tape they didn't do any of that as part of their night they still celebrated a pride night which should be said but they didn't do the extra little bits that they agreed they were going to do this all came from obviously one off a one player um for the um philadelphia for philadelphia who for religious reasons um which was said at the time ivan provyov made a decision to abandon the pride jersey during the warm-up initiative um and decided not to do it so it was kind of a, a follow-on the new york rangers then kind of also did the same but the most recent team for it to happen with um and, and david isn't on tonight to have a chat about this um is the minnesota wild um the minnesota wild uh quietly deleted web pages um while also then not um following through on advertised uh pride night that they had said they were going to do so the pride the, the minnesota wild did have pride jerseys and we're supposed to wear pride jerseys as part of the warm-up um like every other team and we're supposed to um, have as part of their their 
let's play for all um and they decided at the end that nobody on the team would play in it also as part of that there was supposed to be an auction um as part of it where all of the team jerseys then would be put up for auction on this auction site and all of those all that money would be going to a community organization um lgbtq plus organization would be a benefit um of the money that was raised from the auction off of all of those jerseys however on the night the jersey the the website that had been initially advertised had been quietly removed and no longer up and running but obviously because the jerseys were not going to be used so they've had to remove their website um again i think what has mostly happened or what has maybe kind of then thrown into the mix is that i think the biggest question that is now coming out is what does this mean john do you think for the future of this campaign you know the hockey is for everyone campaign has been something that has been spearheaded by the nhl it's something that has been tried to kind of you know live through and they've kind of tried to really push but the fact that we've had three teams now pushing back against it what do you feel that that means for the for this more movement moving forward the biggest thing for for me with the fact that we're we're seeing multiple issues with pride nights and Hockey is for everyone nights is the abject silence from the league. Um, there seem to be no repercussions. Uh, there seems to be no stance being taken, even though that this is these are supposed to be league wide initiatives, uh, which are supported locally by clubs who are supposed to be looking after the the community within their own fan base. Um, it's interesting looking at some of the social media around this um in minnesota um with different different things seeing to be the um the reason why this was all pulled uh, everything from uh they were protecting a, a russian player from potential repercussions when he goes home uh down to the entire locker room just flat refusing to wear uh the, the pride jerseys on the night um now, this was a Tuesday night game. We're currently recording on Thursday, uh, which is Thursday daytime over in Minnesota at the minute. Um, the team still hasn't made any substantive statement about what happened and why what happened happened. Um, for me, if this continues on, there needs to be a league stance. Um, we have even seen league stances taken in our own elite league where um, certain teams that will remain nameless were called out for um, lack of actions uh, during sort of Pride Nights or actions which didn't sit well with um, fans who would either be part of the community or would be allies to the community, um, where there seemed to be a little bit of cloak and dagger. And since then, the, the league itself, the Elite League, has taken ownership over um, things like Pride um with it now coming in, I think it's January, now Jan late January, early February, uh, tends to be Elite League Pride Week. Um, so it's unusual that we're sitting here saying that the Elite League have got something right and the NHL have got something wrong, um, but there needs to be a, a step up from the NHL and to clarify what the league's position on uh, hockey is for everyone and Pride Nights is. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one of the things I was reading, and again, again, we don't, we don't know. We're not, we, we're not living, we're not currently living in the climate in the states of what is kind of currently happening there. We know that um, at the moment there is a quite a, you know, the LGBTQ plus community is having a real difficult time. Um, you know, in the states with, um, you know, obviously trans rights and trans inf- trans movements and stuff really coming under fire in relation to kind of um, legal moves being made in different parts. And I know we should be saying we should be keeping politics out of the sport, and sport shouldn't be link- linking in with politics. And blah, blah 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 but at the end of the day when you've got a a, a group of a, a group a minority group um who feel that they're being attacked from a from a government point of view in terms of like a you know from 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 state levels from you know s- senate level right up to you know quite high on the hill um in washington you know, you've got things like that happening and then you've got teams who you know as part of that not supporting or you know doing pride and i know it seems like a small thing that they didn't do it but when you think about the kind of current climate that's kind of going on at the moment for you know for those group for this group um you know it just kind of comes to the point of was it a political stance that they've made in terms of you know like let's not get into the messiness of what's currently going on in the climate or is this a, a, a key time for for the likes of you know big organizations with big followings to basically say look you know we're in support of you know what is ha- we're in support of our LGBTQ plus community, and therefore you know we fully support them by doing this. You know it's interesting. I've seen a lot of arguments on both sides for that. And as you say, John, I think what what will be interesting to come out of it will be we obviously know that the uh, GM meeting, the first initial GM meeting of the year, will take place just before the uh, before the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, which is when the the GMs from across the league will come together and discuss some topics about which well we'll discuss some topics that will be the main key topics that they'll have a chat about once the stanley cup comes to an end um, and they'll have the the general gm meeting which usually happens around about june time and then we usually report on it over the off season so it'll be interesting to see if this initiative if uh the pride initiative and hockey is for everyone will be interesting to see if that is on the agenda for that chat um and if that what what will come of that as of as of next season when we move through to see you know is there just more is there just a stance where the NHL have decided, you know, it's been, you know, we started this in 2018, you know, we're now, you know, five, six years on, you know, we kind of maybe need to refresh things and we look at things differently. I don't know. Be interesting to see where that moves to. Yeah, it will be. It'll be massively interesting. And look, it wouldn't be the first time that um, sporting organizations have decided to stay apolitical, um, yep. given, and like you say, given everything, given the, the climate uh, in North America in particular at the minute. Um, and what's going on there? It it would not be surprising to to see them take a a neutral stance and uh, maybe sit back to see how things land over the next year or so, uh, and whether they continue with this um, as a a league wide um, event, if you like. Um, but regardless it's it's sad to see it come to that um speaking of nhl um and and and, and moves and changes in the nhl um while it hasn't been 100 percent um 100 confirmed by any uh specific source there has been rumblings um this past week um and it's really gathered steam um coming off this past weekend from a tweet that was put up by uh, an nhl official um in which um there gary bateman to this point so we should we should lead on with uh, the fact that we know at the moment currently in the nhl we have 32 teams the most recent expansions were the vegas golden knights and then obviously the seattle kraken coming in in 2021 2022 um gary bateman had said that you know we're not in an expansion mode um that it's things will slow down and whatever else but this past weekend there was some 
Indication to suggest that um, there's a possibility that a 33rd and a 34th franchise is possibly going to be potentially being announced over the, co- over the course of the next maybe coming months. And this might be something that might pop its head up at the, obviously, the, this meeting, as we say, the GM meeting, um, the first stage, if you're going to have a franchise um, being added to the NHL, comes in the form of this GM meeting um, around June time, where a vote usually is put out to say if there's been a, a declaration for any teams that are interested in moving into the NHL and, and applications usually are put out and then teams will usually accept um, if an application can be put in from certain teams um, and what's interesting is that um, this the, the, the tweet that was put out by someone from the NHL or from NHL's network um, simply just said NHL to Houston was all it said um, and that then led people to believe then what is this franchise and where is this coming from however there has been um, rumblings on Twitter this past week where there's two cities um, particularly have sp- expressed interest uh, which is obviously Houston and Atlanta um, but nothing official has happened or nothing official has came out just yet um, so I suppose John I suppose the way to look at it is there's been a couple of teams there's been six teams in general that um have this over this last year there's been a bit of a bit more talk i suppose a bit more a bit a bit, a bit more definitely definitely a lot more grumblings and a lot more um coming out from from certain cities but uh there's six six cities in general that have um been on the on i suppose on everybody's lips um that is atlanta houston kansas city portland maine Quebec City and then obviously then uh, another team coming out of Metro Toronto which is obviously which is kind of Hamilton direction and the Hamilton Bulldogs are probably the most common team there I suppose that the main thing is was what I find interesting was obviously we've got two teams that are being mentioned here we have obviously um, Houston and we have um we have Houston and we have Atlanta being the two main runners two forerunners of of what it's been looked at we know in the past we've had NHL teams in both. We've had um, the Houston um, Oreos and Atlanta Thrashers. Atlanta obviously was um, obviously Atlanta's famous. had two franchises. Yeah, um, Atlanta had the Flames, who are now in Calgary. Yeah, and the Thrashers, who are now the Jets. Is that right? Are they the Jets or the Coyotes? Is that that franchise? Yes, they are. Yep, yep. The Jets. Two thousand yep, six or whatever. How dare? How dare the NHL look at giving Atlanta a third opportunity? before going back to Quebec, who were in should have been in pole position when the Vegas Golden Knights and definitely Seattle were considered and were brought in as expansions. Canada at this point deserves another franchise. Agreed. I before mean- North, before Continental USA. Um I would sooner see a franchise started in Hawaii before I saw any of the failed franchise cities granted expansion again. I mean, we are we are in very early days, very very early days. Obviously, this is still just a kind of that rumor. It's kind of that rumor murmur stage, kind of like where. But the fact that it's just caught so much traction over this last week, um, especially given the fact that the tweet went out and and people are now starting to rumble about this, and and it was kind of I suppose it was kind of a low level discussion around whether or not it was going to expand for, expand more over the next year or so. But I mean, any any there particularly that I mean I mean any there particularly that you kind of thought surprise names any particular cities that you kind of thought be interesting um i say interesting but actually the more i think about it it's not interesting the slightest is a, a second franchise for toronto um i say it's surprising because obviously having two nhl franchises in a metropolitan area in one single metropolitan area is quite interesting 
the one thing that would give me pause as to why it would be a good idea is because the Leafs as a fan base are completely oversubscribed and their ticket prices are enormous and insane. So actually splitting that city down the middle and giving an opportunity for fans to go to potentially a cheaper uh, arena to a new expansion franchise would be fantastic, especially for the likes of us tourists who love to go to um, effectively what feels like the home of hockey. Um, probably outside of New York uh, and maybe Montreal um, would just be brilliant. Um, the one that I quite like, and I know I just said uh, Atlanta being given a, a third strike at it, but um, see that Thrasher's jersey? That's still a nice jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you if you bring that back, same way that I would love to see Quebec come back, because again, the Nordiques had a cracking jersey. Absolutely love the the Quebec Nordiques logo, the royal blue um, jersey, really really nice. Um, but yeah, I could I could quite happily see a, a second franchise in Toronto if it helps for uh, nice cheap uh, cheap tickets to the NHL for tourists who want to go to Toronto. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it'd be interesting to see. Obviously, I'd say it is early it is early murmurs and it is a kind of early rumor at the moment, but uh, we will stick with it and we will come back to it if there's any more um, traction, if it does gain any more traction. But it'll be interesting to see, as we say, when it comes to that that manager's meeting or the, the GM meeting, sorry, I should say, um, come June time, whether or not this will be uh, on the table for discussion around that boardroom. Um, so we will wait and see. Um, the last story to lead, last story to leave on, on this period, um, is we we mentioned it obviously, um, at the start of the, at the top of the show, we are at the, the the tail end of the the general season, um, in the NHL, and obviously we we know here in the in the elite league, the season is what we kind of work towards. We work towards that lifting that trophy at the end of the season, and that's a big trophy for us to lift because you do all that hard work and all that heavy lifting throughout the year to win that trophy, and for us that's the bigger one. We obviously know ourselves, and if you're not if you're not f- familiar with the NHL, um, the NHL doesn't really put as much onus and as much inf- emphasis on the league itself as a running. The the focus is always on the playoff and the playoff run in Lord Stanley's Cup, and so as part of that, obviously we have the trade deadline day, which is just past um, this past at the start of March there, um, and as part of that, we know that the teams are now working over the next um, six or seven weeks to kind of build towards that playoff run. And we did see some movement and some sh- some some movement shaken um around the the league um this past week uh, as part sorry this past uh, trade line, trade trade deadline day um and I guess really just to kind of maybe just highlight some of those trades because some of them were massive and some of them were uh, shall we say. Uh, significant in relation to what they've decided to go with in relation to like um how many t- how many teams decided to make moves um right throughout at one point i was just looking daily at the leafs and i just thought to myself another one another one another one um the leafs obviously um moving towards the kind of the build-up of the of the uh, towards the end of the season um and trying to kind of really strengthen um the leafs moving forward into that playoff spot obviously one of the big names coming in uh which took i think a lot of people by surprise was ryan o'reilly um you know he's a, a massive okay maybe he's past his peak in terms of his offense um but he is a utility player um coming in you always had him he had an amazing runoff playoff runoff with st louis um in 2019 um i think he's still you know in peak form in terms of trying to get up those set players and I think it was a fantastic move for the for the Leafs. I think another big move that happened with the Leafs that took people by surprise was obviously that move between um, the Leafs and the Washington Capitals. Um, we've seen a, a bit of a change there. Um, we've seen um, 
surprisingly Ramos, uh, Rasmus Sandin moving to the Capitals and we took in Eric Gustafsson uh, which I think everybody I think the biggest thing that came out of it was I think there was a, a video going around of um, Rasmus leaving the the training ground the the the, the 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 training rink and it was it was heartbreaking to say the least it was just they showed this video of just like him pretty much being escorted out as if like security were escorting him from the, the building trying to be like no 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 you can't grab your stuff you're moving now you're going and you had players who were basically just like hugging him and just like it was just it was devastating it really was um but i think that you know the fact that they've they've made it the the the, the toronto have made this move to kind of you know reinforce this moving into the play the, the final run in the playoffs is just it's an interesting move for them um one of the other big interesting ones um for me is obviously then we talked about them as well, the Boston Bruins. John, you mentioned at the start, you know, they have dominated so far this season, but they have just strengthened more so. Um, and I think the yeah. biggest, I think the biggest one coming out of it was probably that, that signing of um, Teller Batuzzi, um, who's came into Bertuzzi, the Bruins. Yeah. yeah. I think that was a big one. Um, what would you say? Would you agree? Oh, look, that, that's a team, like we talked about them earlier, they they are absolutely stacked. Um, there was chat of some potential injury, injury worries heading into playoffs, but they have more than covered that. I mean, it's not just Bertuzzi. They then uh, also then picked up, uh, was it Dmitry Orlov? Yep. And there was another guy. Garnet Hathaway. Um, okay, yeah, so they they are adding depth across that, that team. And we're now, we're a good few days after those trades. They didn't wait up to trade deadline for those, no. uh, as far as I remember, and yeah. they are they're still rolling, um, yeah. which is just mental to see. Um, I'm trying to remember there was one one trade that caught my mind, and it was a netminder. It was a netminder who got traded and then made it very public that he would not be playing for the team that he was traded to. Um, I cannot. Did they end was, up in Vegas? No, it was. Um... Oh my god! Uh, oh, it's on tip of my tongue, and I can't even think now. It's a big name too. It was a big name. Yeah, big name. Quick, Jonathan Quick. No, Jonathan Quick. Yes, he, he has ended up in. Uh, he has ended up in uh, Vegas. So he was traded um, by the the Kings in much as you said. I mean, some trades are just done, uh, and players don't know anything about it. Um, he was traded, made it fairly clear that he was going to go absolutely nowhere near the, the team that he was traded to, and they offloaded him incredibly quickly over to Vegas Golden Knights, where he had a hero's welcome. Uh, and as far if I remember right, he had a, a big win in his debut for the Golden Knights. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's interesting to see Golden Knights doing this again. Uh, they had a fantastic run in their expansion year, bringing in uh, Fleury, um, and uh, an experienced, a veteran netminder, and now they're doing it again. They, they've managed to get in there through this situation with Jonathan Quick and bring him in, uh, and he looks like he's having a, a, a decent time. Uh, currently sitting for the season with a save percentage of 877, mm -hmm. uh, which is, is not, maybe not fantastic, uh, given, but given the fact that he's 37 years old, uh, has been... A franchise name for the Kings, and this has been the problem, and I think this rubbed a lot of Kings fans up the wrong way as well. That this this guy is franchise. He is. I mean, you think about uh, the Kings, and you think about Jonathan Quick. Um, but the funny thing that I was seeing about it was is 
uh, fans were acting all surprised, and then people went, "What are you surprised about? This is a franchise who, who does this. Like this is a franchise who are particularly famous for uh, having traded a, a particular player uh, back in the the late eighties, uh, late eighties, early nineties, um, a certain number ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mean, th- look, they they have form with this. The ownership have have history with this. So look, it happens. Uh, but just the the way that he went about it, I really hope Quick has a good end uh, to this season. I hope he enjoys the hockey that he plays in Vegas for the rest of the season. Sticking with that, sticking with that ninety nine kind of the, the, um, that ninety nine analogy that you were talking about. You know, obviously the, the that that move, um, you know that that trade. Um, back in the day you know for um for Gretzky that was a massive massive thing and it changed everything in relation to American hockey in terms of that that big trade where it came out of nowhere people are saying that there was another trade that was made this past um, trade deadline day um that was came as a massive surprise and some people are arguing that it was probably just as dramatic maybe just as public and maybe a massive massive moment in the history of American hockey for such an a massive the- big game is Pat- this somebody moving to New York? Patrick, is it by any chance? Patrick Kane leaving Chicago and moving to New- the New York Rangers. Yeah, um, that I first saw that being talked about on social media. I think maybe a day before it was confirmed, and I was like, "That's nonsense. Why? Why would Patrick Kane be leaving?" Um, and then it was confirmed, and it's it's insane. It's massive. Um, I wonder if. It is was Kane too big for his boots? Uh, there's been chat about that that he was demanding of that franchise. He knew his worth, um, but he he does have legacy in Chicago with the Blackhawks. Uh, but he has a massive opportunity. The Rangers. Where are the Rangers sitting at the minute? Um, are they? They're third. Are they in the f- yeah, they're so they're, third. they're in a they're in a fight, and yep. having firepower like Patrick Kane coming into their organization, that's that's big. That that's a big bold move. It must it must clear some it must clear some gap though. It must clear some from from um, it must, must clear, clear some huge massive in the huge week. cap space. Must it must be a huge must cap do. space clear for them must do the last one just to want to touch on just before we move on john um and this is coming to to your own um to kind of technically to to your to your own predators um there was although maybe it wasn't as, as a massive heading move in relation to like the likes of the the likes of the lengths of patrick kane and, and that type of announcements that were made and the, the kind of took the word by storm but there was a there was a trade made between the panther the the Preds and the Lightning um, as part of the trade deadline. And it was probably the boldest trade I think I have seen in a long while. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, so this is the, the trade for um, Tanner Geno, who went to the Lightning from the Preds for Cal Foot, um, who are... It's a, it's a, a really interesting one. Uh, Tanner Geno is a fifth-round draft pick uh while cal foot is a 2025 first round pick uh top 10 protected pick uh as well um really really interesting it was just- i was shocked i was shocked and i was equally not shocked i mean as i said at the top of the podcast the the preds are in a soft rebuild uh we are 
we're clearing space. We are moving on some names. We even uh, there was talk of trading away our uh, our captain uh, as well uh, with Yossi. Um I think the Preds are going to be changing heavily over the next two or three seasons. I think there's going to be a massive change in that franchise and how that franchise looks. It's going to be built around um, Juicy Suarez, uh, our netminder, who is um, building up to being a really good replacement for Pecorini, uh, who, interestingly, uh, we will be unveiling a statue of uh, fairly soon. Uh, I think it's actually... is it. Is it this month? It might be this month, actually. Uh, the Preds are unveiling a statue outside the Bridgestone Arena of Piccarini. Uh But yeah, we we will be building a new team, I expect, around um, uh, around Juicy Soros. And there will be a... I'd like to see a young team uh, and bringing in Cal Foot as a defenseman. Uh, I am... And then having I'm those, happy. Having I'm, those four, I'm reasonably happy about ha- that. Having those four options then of, of like 2025 first round pick, 2024 second round pick, and then next year, this year, this 2023, you have two picks a second round of picking a third round pick. I mean, you, I, I feel like you took loads from it, but anyway. Well, that's it. We're we're buying we're buying options. We're in the market for options. Um, is the the biggest thing, and that's exactly what the Preds are doing. I think it was a very significant trade day, trade day this or trade week, shall we say, or trade deadline day. Anyway, it was very interesting to see all the things are moving, shaking. Um, I think it was one of the most interesting ones in a long while. Anyway, and that's just my opinion, but uh, maybe maybe others think differently. That sorry, that thought. was sorry. This was the this was the the uh, wasn't Yossi at all. Um, we did actually do another big trade, which was uh, Matthias Ekholm. He went to Edmonton. Yeah. Um, there you go. I mean, I mean, let us know what you think. Was there was it? What was your surprise for the playoffs? Or for what was your surprise for the trade deadline? You know, let us know what your thoughts are um, on that one. Um, John, with that, that takes us to the end of the stories for this period, um, and that takes us into then to our third period. Welcome to period three. Period three is where we look at anything and everything else in the world of hockey, and we call it Nocky News. Um, Marty, I hate to sound like uh, two of our other co-hosts when they sometimes come here, um, but unfortunately you have done all of the work for what is normally the period that I take control of. Um, I am going to clearly go with one of your two stories first, uh, and I'm going to go with your um, street hockey, your access to the game being made easier by the NHL. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to thank the hockey news because they made it kind of easy for me um, this week when it came to this this period of hockey. Um, there's two two news stories that um, were, were dominating um, that I've seen on social media that I follow through on the hockey news then. Um, and the two main stories are, the first one was around this development of the NHL um, creating a an accessible format for growing hockey across the whole of the US. And that is in the form of the NHL Street, which is uh, a new ball hockey tournament or ball hockey franchise kind of sport that they're going to bring uh, right across different communities across North America. Um, this coming summer, um, during the off season of the NHL, the NHL is going to be launching the NHL Street, uh, street which is going to kind of spread the love of hockey um, through what they're calling low barrier inclusive programs. The NHL have come out themselves and they have said that there is a, a real fear around um, the fact that they, they, they're fully acknowledging the fact that hockey 
is a an expensive sport to get into um that there those restrictions should be removed in some form to uh, create um the the ability to kind of have newcomers come into the sport and enjoying the game as best as possible and the best way of doing that they've decided is through this different this 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 i guess this kind of program this this kind of idea of um bringing the sport out to the communities and creating a kind of almost like a ball hockey tournament style type uh, style type um program the franchise it will see 16 um 16 oh sorry um the, the basically what the plan is um is to have the um the 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 street hockey tournament or the street hockey program um, going right out, right across different parts of the of the US this coming summer. And they have put out a press release to say that the first cities that will see the program launch in the, uh, this coming summer are Boston, Edmonton, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Winnipeg, Vancouver, Austin, and Texas. Or Austin in Texas, as you say, not and Texas. Austin, Texas. Um, I mean some of those others um here there's obviously locations that they have talked about um which is like new mexico and um, which is one that they're looking to kind of feature targets um and and that's kind of one of those kind of areas um and i guess some of these teams some of these some of these names in some of these cities aren't surprising because obviously they have uh, nhl teams in a number of these cities obviously the majority of them um but obviously they're trying to build the sport in around kind of that Austin and Texas area. You know, they're kind of trying to build it more around that, that kind of... Is that is that not a bit weird as a concept? Like, they're, they're, they're talking about the barriers to hockey and they talk about, like, access to ice and all of that. But they're they're launching it in cities with established NHL franchises, um, in especially places like Winnipeg, Vancouver um and edmonton like you're taking it to the the heartland of um seasonal pond hockey to um cities who are have established hockey infrastructure um i can totally accept going to um places like new mexico or to austin um even to places like detroit maybe um I would say that there's probably a social deprivation issue there with cost associated with getting into hockey. But when you're when you're taking something like ball hockey, why not go into the the states and the provinces where you don't have ice? But like you're you're concentrating this yeah. on people who maybe don't have access to that and maybe actually know nothing about hockey. Yeah. And that, and that's a and that's a fair question. Um, I kind of what that was what led led me to believe one of the questions I was going to ask about the, this story was that it's I suppose just to continue with a bit before I can come back to that question for you, John. But one of the big things they tried to say about this whole idea of the NHL Street is that the the idea behind it is to create a a fun environment that isn't about building te- particularly like trying to look for the next Connor McDavid or the next Austin Matthews. It's not about that skill development. The priority for this program is to have kids walk away from it thinking. That was amazing. Want to do it again, and maybe wanting then to enter into traditional hockey programs. Um, so starting to learn to skate, starting to kind of enjoy the kind of the idea of hockey as an actual sport um, through different means. And I, I guess, as you say, though, it is a bit surprising that they've t- decided to target those cities that kind of maybe have traditional teams already going. And as you say, you know, developing it more in a point. Why haven't they decided to point out, or you know, I suppose find out. Maybe well, I suppose it's early days. It's the first time they're going to be trying it, so maybe there's kind of a almost like we don't want to fail in the first time we're doing it. We want to make sure it works, and we want to make sure it's creative, fun, and we want to see what we're doing the right thing. We want to see if it does actually push youth into traditional variations of the sport. 
in the end of the end of the day and i suppose that's why maybe they've decided to kind of stick to some of those areas where they know that there's a, a potential to kind of maybe move into that point but as yeah, you look, say I, I i also accept that um uh, they, they do say in the press release that um there will be real intent um a real intentional pursuit by us to go places we haven't been before and a huge component of the NHL street is getting outside of club boundaries. So yeah, maybe maybe you're 100% right. Maybe I've read too quickly into that, that they're staying within their franchise areas and look, maybe, maybe it'll come. Uh, and and it'll, it'll come. the thing we talk about here is, you know, some of these cities and some of these areas that we're talking about, you know, like we think about when we think about the, those cities that are being mentioned, you know, you mentioned it yourself there as well. Like you're talking about Detroit. We know that there's kind of maybe high deprivation in Detroit, you know, in terms of like certain areas of, of Detroit. Um, but the same again, even in Pittsburgh, you know, we, we probably know that there's probably um, suburbs of Pittsburgh who maybe don't really attend the games, don't really get into hockey because of what oh, look, it any, any of these big, any of these big metropolitan cities, um, there, there's elements of social uh, and economic deprivation, uh, especially now um, in this day and age with, um, sort of we talked about it, like there's currently an energy crisis going on pretty much across the entire world. Um, the cost of living is incredibly high. So when you talk about um, people potentially tossing up supporting a child through a potential hockey career which is not cheap or um keeping a home warm um and keeping kids fed then you know which one's going to win out yeah. so programs like this can do nothing but get kids and keep kids enthusiastic in the sport and hopefully find different access routes for them into yeah. the the game of ice hockey um or even just keep them into hockey through ball hockey true Yep. I'm going to move on to my last story. Um, um, yeah, go for it. Move on. So the last story, and it's just a... Not, I don't mean to sound like it's a quick one, but just one I just wanted to highlight because I thought it was quite interesting. Um, this past... Well, about two, about a week and a half ago now, because obviously it should have been in last week's podcast, and obviously we didn't do one last week, and I wanted, uh, I had an intention of including this last week. Um, the Obviously, we... Um, the, it was a story hit the headlines in in Sweden, um, where women's uh, one of the women's hockey teams in Sweden, as part of the the, the women's hockey division in the SDHL, um, decided to play one of their games uh, with a very innovative concept um, of using uh, invisible or should we say, yeah invisible glass. Uh, helmets. So there were helmets that were made of uh, clear plastic, um, and the idea of it, Warren, was uh, trying to highlight the fact that um, the Swedish women are trying to break through that 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 glass barrier that glass ceiling um in that they're trying to create a, a more awareness around that women's sport and women's professional sport um and women in general uh, in the workplace um there's still restrictions still you know and they kind of want to highlight the fact that you know that the that there's there should be an equal equal footing um, for women, especially within sport of um, ice hockey, and they wore these specially designed glass helmets to um, kind of put forward their 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 protest, if you will. Um, there is a massive, I suppose, inequality when it comes to funding and facilities, particularly in hockey in Sweden. And one of the big things that they wanted to address was the systematic bar barrier to women um, and how they're facing this barrier. So one of the big ideas was if they kind of built around this this program around um, breaking the glass ceiling, they came up with this initiative then, this idea then to kind of have 
these these glass helmets that would kind of represent breaking the glass ceiling. Um, that's why I put it up because I just thought they were very innovative. I thought it was a very interesting story, and um, the visual alone I thought was uh, was quite interesting. Um, and there's another image. I think it's on their Twitter account, maybe. Um, so if you want to take, go and take a look at their Twitter account, there's actually a, a image and videos of the actual skating around as well with the helmets on, and it was quite a it was quite a a, a visual. As a visual concept, um, it, it definitely, um, it definitely stole your attention. Um, so uh, I thought that was worth mentioning. No, it's definitely worth mentioning, and uh, would be remiss without uh, mentioning as well that uh, yesterday was International Women's Day uh, as well. So it's uh, well timed uh, as well. Um, even here at uh, Door Fourteen, we are nothing without strong women around us. Uh, so we we thank them for the time and effort that they put in with us absolute idiots uh, while we sit here and talk about hockey Mm -hmm. yep agreed um marty that is pretty much it that is the end of knocky news there is nothing else there because i have been incredibly lazy uh, and haven't added anything in there myself so i'm gonna throw it back over to you because we are into overtime yeah our overtime uh, we do have two questions in our overtime segment our overtime segment is just anything else that kind of has uh, that catches our attention or has happened uh, in the most uh, most most recently has been where we're taking our questions that we get from you guys on social media and we kind of then kind of go around usually there's more of us but me and john will answer the questions for you anyway um and some questions are pitted to us two main questions that have been put our direction from a number of different people um but also just generally as discussion points that we've been going about on social media this past week and a half um which people have wanted to kind of know john maybe what our take is on some of these bits and pieces i'm going to go with the first one um and the first one is an interesting one in that um, it was a question that came up around the transferring of bands across leagues. This came in the form of, um, I suppose it, it came because we have a number of players who are now playing in the Elite League, who are playing on two-way contracts, who are both playing in the NI, NIHL, um, as well as supplement uh, as being as supplementary players for the Elite League team, for various elite, different Elite League teams. Um, and one of the ones that came up, um, and particularly why it was put our direction, is obviously because as Belfast Giants fans, um, we are, uh, we have, we're lucky enough to have Sean Norris, who plays um, for the Belfast Giants, who also plays for the Milton Keynes Lightning. However, at the start of March, on Friday the 3rd of March, uh, Sean Norris received a match penalty for checking from behind in a game against the Raiders in, at the end, just at the end of February, but was assessed a tier one uh Tier, a tier one penalty which means that it was received he will receive a six game suspension and what they call penalty points as well which is added on and obviously as penalty points build up it means more suspe- suspensions um what was inf- what was interesting then is the fact that the player who then is playing in the nihl has a six game suspension which is quite a high number of suspensions when you think about we talk about one of the things we've always talked about is the nihl we've always talked about the fact that like they're suspend they're they're disciplinary code in terms of suspensions and follow-up and everything else has been quite interesting in terms of how they do it in terms of they have these tiers they have penalty points they have a bit higher you know the the i suppose the maybe match bans that they take are slightly maybe higher than what we usually expect here in the elite league for certain hits and rightly or wrongly maybe they're it's maybe keeping players safer um than what maybe happens here in the elite league i don't know you can have that argument yourselves but what was interesting was then that means that sean norris who players for the Belfast Giants um, whenever he's free means that he has to serve those six games that ban that six game suspension in the NIHL and he has to serve six game suspension before he can come in and play for the Belfast Giants again 
I suppose people are wanting to know, John, like, what is, like, what's your take on that? I mean, you know, it's crossed, I mean, you know, you could you could argue because obviously if it was double IHF, you know, or whatever it is, you would argue that, you know, a suspension anywhere means it's suspension right across the species. It has to be served. But when you take leagues, when you take when you're taking a look at two different leagues and have when you have two different leagues, you have such different disciplinary codes and, you know, well, it, it, it doesn't really it doesn't work that way. The I I can accept that um, that Norris has to take this ban because uh, the elite league effectively transposes in ninety nine point nine percent the IIHF um, rulebook into its um, casebook. I think is what they call their rulebook, the the EIHL casebook, um, and it states uh, and that that came out. There was a, a Someone, I think, took a, a screenshot of the section in the casebook that says this, that uh, a player who is banned in one league uh, can still sign for, can leave that league and sign for another team. But if they are subsequently uh, or are serving a ban in that league, they must uh, see it out uh, in the the team that they are currently signed for. Uh, we saw, this isn't the first time that this has been discussed either. Um, there was the, the whole chat about... Um, I think Matt Nickerson, the fact that he left Milton Keynes before he had finished serving uh, a ban that he'd been given for an altercation with a fan. The difference with that was, though, that that was at uh, the argument there with the Nickerson one was that he was at an elite league level, double IHF elite league level, and therefore had to serve that ban within this league before he could had move to on. Serve, had to serve the ban. If you want to pay, if you want he to pay would, here, but he could move. Here, but he, he could move on if to somewhere else. To another, if he went to another double IHF jurisdiction league and team, he would have had to serve that ban. Right. So let's say it's it's not the first time that this has been discussed and it's it's not a massive deal. Um, in all respects, it would have been nice to see um, Sean play in the Challenge Cup final. Um, all things being considered, we are still juggling... Uh, players around um, with I think are we still carrying one or two extra imports at this point I know we're going to talk about imports in a second as well um, but yeah um, I I am I am fine with it if I'm totally honest yeah um, it's not going to affect his training with the team uh, it would be nice for him to get a few more games under his belt with us as we come into playoffs uh, but we still sit to look and see kind of what his his impact will be with the the giants that's i mean to be fair that's my thoughts exactly um i did i i kind of see where people are coming from and and the fact that like you know that where they're saying like you know it it does seem a bit harsh because obviously the 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 tier levels are so different compared to you know with league from one league to the other and i agree i i completely see where they're coming from but as you say john you know it's while it's disheartening that we didn't have we can't have Norris as a util as a backup utility player if we need him there. It's not the end of the day. It's not you know we're we're still running lines. It's not the okay? end of his season. It's not. Let, let's be honest. It's not the end of his no. season. He he has been Adam Keith and the rest of the coaching team have brought him in for a reason. Um, and he's impressed. The reality, the reality the reality has to be that he must have known. He played this game um, in the uh, NIHL. He knew that this was coming. He won't be the only one who knew that this was coming. Adam Keefe and the coaching team for the Giants will have known that something was coming. Um, and the fact 
that there was some kind of suspension was likely to come. He he took a match penalty in the NIHL. We know that the NIHL take match penalties and game penalties very seriously. They have their uh, penalty point scoring system when it comes to their bans. It won't have been too difficult to really have a, a rough idea of what the expectation for a ban was. Correct. Bear in mind that the, the NIHL have taken their time to come to this and Sean has played, I'm looking at the stats here, Sean has played eight games for the Belfast Giants uh, sitting with one goal, one assist for two points total in those eight games. Um, nowhere near the sort of numbers that he's putting up or was putting up in the NIHL. I mean, sitting with um, 43 games played, 27 goals and 49 assists for 76 points. Um, so nearly uh, two points per game production uh, is what he's putting up in the, the NHL. But he, yeah, like you say, he's coming in here as a utility player. He's coming in here as a um, a utility forward. So it'll be good to see what he does. Uh, but this was not an ill-considered signing by any point no. uh, or any case in form. And, and I think I think um, I, I I definitely think he's impressed this season so far for the Belfast Giants. And I, I I'd be I, I would I would be I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe more of Norris next year for the Belfast Giants. That's all I'll say. I, I, I expect very... so. You say that um, he he is. Uh, um, well, he's a, a dual national. He's a, an English Czech dual national. Um, so obviously he has the uh, the Brit selection so, when it comes to uh, the elite league. But naturally, naturally, that brings us to the other question then, John, uh, which is perfect. Yeah. The other question then is uh, other big rumor that has gone around from this past weekend. I, now I don't know where it started. I don't know how it started, but there is a quite a strong rumor that seems to be kind of gaining again. One of those rumors that seems to be gaining legs that maybe would lead to this belief that maybe there's some truth behind this that maybe this is something that is possibly coming. So there is chat that the import limit. In the in the elite league next year is going to raise from fourteen to fifteen. It's caused, shall we say, some controversy and some heated arguments on social media. I think I'm right in saying that. Um, and I think the question has been that has been put out by a few people who have sent in a few, uh, this question is, "What's our take on on this?" I think one question was, um, "Let me get one of them up. I'll show you." It. But I suppose the main question is, and the main argument has been, by increasing the import limit to fifteen. Um, does that mean that the chances then that local Brits have of joining the Elite League then decreases? And does that is that a significant impact for the development of Brit hockey? Look, if you're talking about roster sizes staying exactly the same, most teams playing with three, three and a half lines, uh, and you're going to increase the import limit by one, so you're going to go from 14 to 15, you are immediately putting 10 Brits out of uh, contention for spots in the Elite League in regular playing situations. Um, this then, again, brings up the conversation about um, British development and the current state of the GB programme um, and how that is impacted going forward. Uh we for a start, let's be totally clear about where we've been asked this question. This has come from Anthony at Banners. Exactly, um, exactly. Only, I, exactly the only one I've had two other exact right, same okay. question from two others. Exactly uh, same. So call, call, name them, name them. Tell, um, say who it is. Uh, we've given Anthony a shout out. Let's give the others a shout out. Uh, I'll need to go find them. Uh, I know one of them was Mark. Anyway, uh, I'll go find. It's always Mark. I'll go find out. I'll go find out who the other one is. You keep talking. You find out who the other one is. Yeah. And I'll start chatting. So. Yes, it brings up the conversation about um, the Elite League and its 
its role in development. And I had a certain perspective on this whenever this rumour first came out and we chatted about this in our group chat and I um, basically just started saying Super League, Super League, Super League. I'm going to be totally honest, I've thought about it a little bit more and I've looked at some of the viewpoints online and it's probably one of the few times I'm going to say that I disagree with um, the the argument of the Elite League being Development League. Um, we, we are a small hockey community here in the UK, let's be totally honest. We are a second string sport at best, let's be totally honest. We're... we're we're not one of the most foot trafficked sports, but we're getting there, but we're not one of the most trafficked sports. The Elite League exists as the pinnacle of the sport. Uh, we are there for... It is, sorry, it is there for entertainment value and it's there to make money. It's a, a business. It's a going concern. The way that that business gets better is to put the best potential product forward. It does that currently by bringing in non-GB players from across the world. Uh, the game is changing as well. We've seen the Elite League go from a highly physical North American game to a fast, high-skill European game as well. Let's just call it what it is. That is what the Elite League is becoming. Our inclusion in competitions like the Continental Cup and the um, Champions Hockey League is forcing that change and it is it's league-wide in general we still have one or two of the uh, rink teams who know exactly what their clientele is in the stands and they still want physical hockey uh, we see that with the style of play that we see from Manchester from Fife and from a couple others but I would suggest that it is not the elite league's uh, role and remit to develop British talent. What's missing is a unified body. It would be the purpose of a unified GB UK hockey body to make sure that GB development is prioritised in the lower leagues. We are starting to see certain elements of that come through, even with the Elite League, because we're starting to see more and more two-way deals coming about with um, NIHL teams and Elite League teams. So while the Elite League is not taking a personal hand in the development of British players, they are making inroads with their product because they see the, the need for things like injury cover, potentially for their own Brits, who they're signing full-time, with the capacity to bring in younger fresh bodies from the NIHL who prove themselves in that league and can come and take that big step up to play against 14 or 15 imports for 20, 30 minutes a game. So I'll probably get it in the neck from Anthony when he listens to this, but I don't agree with you on this one, Anthony. I am here for the product that the Elite League gives and if development is what people want then that's what the nihl and the shl that's what they exist for uh, is my stance at it at the minute i am open to that changing but that's where i see things currently i've got nothing else to add i think you're i think 
you've hit it in the head. I know there's the, the there's two camps. There's the argument of quality on the pro- quality product and paying the money to see a quality product and the entertainment, the most entertainment value, and get, looking at the best players. And there's the argument of the development side. And you're right. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's not a develop. It's not technically a development league, but we we want to make sure we give the opportunities to the the players who reach that level to come in and play and you know the prop one of the big things i did read and which is an interesting thing article and it's maybe be a sort a, a topic for another time but one of the big things i did see and a lot of people were talking about and, and i don't know who it was i read made this statement but as someone clearly pointed out we're heading to a point in the elite league now where a lot of the Brits that we know that we all know household names that we know are all on that brink are all on that level of almost near retirement stages or starting to think about the careers after hockey oh, i know it sounds the, the last two, look at the last two seasons two two big names colin shales went at the end of last season and at the end of this season we already know that we're losing jonathan phillips from the steelers and those names are going to start to kind of drop off more and more and yeah there craig, not- peacock, craig peacock stopped playing hockey like three seasons ago <clears throat> um anyway uh uh, yeah um t- lost my train of thought now um sorry yeah again uh, so I, th- I guess the question will be you know obviously then how to be replaced those players if we're not developing but as you say it's not i don't think it is the league's place to develop them i think the development happens at gra- grassroots it happens at that ground level and then we, and- we move in and as you say the two those two-way deals we start looking at those two-way deals and we see more of those happening and that's how you develop that that link in with having players coming in and look it's it's up to the players as well. I know as fans we can have a, a we can have an opinion, uh, but let's be honest, it's, it's just an opinion. We're not going to change the way that the elite league and the NHL get on together. We're we're just not going to be able to put any sort of pressure on owners in the elite league, or um, the NHL is not going to be ever ever in a position to put enough or any pressure on the elite league to say that you have to be part of development of British players. What it is, is it it puts it at the doorstep of the players individually. If they want to take the step up to the elite league, if they want to be professionals, then they have to put the time and effort into their own development. They have to progress through. We're starting to see it. Um, Max Stewart, Kel Beattie, um, Sean Sean Norris. Yep. Um, These players are putting the time and effort in. Um, Now, you could say, for example, with... um, uh, Max Stewart, there could be a, a an element of nepotism within there. Obviously, Rob is an assistant coach in the Belfast Giants, but he's gone away and proved himself elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, he's gone and played in the SHL, in the NIHL. Kel Beattie has done exactly the same. Um, a number of others who've gone through the Junior Giants program, who've then gone over and played in the, the lower leagues, have come back to the Giants having proven themselves elsewhere. They, Yes, they might have had a good step up or a good leg up, having the opportunity to train with the the likes of whatever Belfast Giants roster was there when they had that opportunity. But that's on those players. That's on them to show the skill, the commitment and the development to then throw on the teal jersey after that. So it's it's at the foot of the players. If you want to play in one of the 10 elite league teams in one of the limited Brit spots, if we go up to, well, even now there's still limited spots, uh, but the more limited spots, uh, if we move up to 15 imports, then... It's on you. I'm never going to do it. I haven't got the skill to do it. I'm never going to be able to play with that. Um, Chris, I can't even skate backwards. But um, if these guys want to do that, go prove yourself and then put yourself in the marketplace and say, I'm ready. And then see where you go from there. I think that's... Come up into the the entertainment uh, league, which is the the EIHL, which is the, the... 
the grandstand product, if you like. And I think that is perfect, and that leaves that. That I think that answers that question quite fairly. And John, 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 John. Sorry, sorry. Before we finish the podcast, before we move on to the last part, uh, that game in Cardiff is finished. Um, Cardiff. Oh uh, no, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> I wasn't even paying attention. I wasn't even paying the, attention. The, right, go on. You're gonna have to tell me. The Manchester Storm have one two one in Cardiff. Look at these mid-table teams doing us favours every night. With that, we are going to sign off for this week. Um, you can catch up as you always on our this episode and previous episodes at our uh, our door our website at door14hockey.com. Uh, get involved. Send us your send us your questions, your comments, your whatever whatever you want to do kind of reach out to us on social media uh twitter facebook and instagram at door 14 hockey um and also don't forget to uh like share subscribe and leave us comments star ratings whatever it is on your podcast provider of choice um with that we will sign off for this week i'm marty i'm john have a great week 